Hello and welcome to Glow CRE Podcast, sponsored by Greystone with your hosts Pamela Van Oss and Farah Jackson. Greystone is a leading commercial real estate finance company that primarily serves the multifamily sector with a range of debt and structured finance solutions. If you're new here, Glow CRE stands for gaining leaders, originators, and women in commercial real estate. And we shine a spotlight on successful women in commercial real estate with the goal of inspiring others to join our industry and gain success. We are so glad you've joined us for this episode. We have another special guest today who is going to share tons of wisdom on career growth. We want to welcome Susan Jarkson, a managing director at global real estate advisory firm Cushman and Wakefield. Susan has more than 30 years of real estate experience in private and public investment. Based in Chicago, Susan co-founded commercial brokerage KIG CRE, which was acquired by Cushman Wakefield about five years ago. Susan also was a co-founder and chairman at Inodo Inc., an automated underwriting platform for the multifamily industry, which was acquired by Walker and Dunlop. Before working in sales, Susan was a leader in apartment and mixed-use development, having planned, built, designed, financed, and delivered projects totaling more than $3.5 billion in revenue. Susan has developed and sold 12,000 residential units, 2,500 hotel rooms, and more than 2 million square feet of retail and office space. Wow, Susan. Welcome to Glow CRE. Uh, Pamela and Farah, thank you for having me. It sounds a little more impressive than it feels, actually, <laughs> in real life. Well, I'm sure it was a lot of hard work. <laughs> That's Definitely. probably why. <laughs> but worth it. Absolutely. Awesome. Based on what we already know about you, Susan, we are sure you have a lot of advice to share with women just starting out in commercial real estate. So first, we'd love to hear how you got your start in the industry. So let's do the 30-second version. My degree was from the University of Illinois in finance. I did graduate work as a Rotary International Fellow right outside of London in international finance. I came home in the middle of a recession and couldn't find a job. So my first job was $5 an hour working as a night auditor at a local hotel. My first promotion was to $5.25 to be the night manager. And I told them they could keep their quarter if I could wear my own clothes instead of their polyester suit. I loved I loved the hotel business, but I loved more the actual sticks and bricks of the hotel, the actual real estate. So that took me into hotel development, which led me into residential multifamily development, both for sale and for rent. I worked in development for a long time, and then I worked during the great financial crisis as a receiver, and we did, I think, 167 receiverships. And as you know, that takes a lot of brokerage. Coming out of that, people said you should really be a broker because with my attention span, I do better with things that move right along than something I have to do over and over again every three years. So I started a brokerage company that I'm very grateful Cushman Wakefield saw value in. Um, And it has been a pleasure to be on the international platform of Cushman Wakefield these last five years. Interestingly enough, we we started Anoto Inc. um, and hired a couple of people just to be curious. I told them 90% of what you do is going to be garbage, 5% is going to be interesting, and 5% is going to be gold. And that gold turned into an exit to Walker and Dunlop. So technology and commercial real estate certainly isn't new, but it has become a very viable and efficient tool in helping us understand real estate today. Definitely. I know a lot of our listeners are probably still stuck at the $5 an hour. Um, <laughs> so I have to ask you, did, did were you able to wear your own clothes or... 
Yes, I was. <laughs> there you go. Able, so you, you succeeded right then and there. Perfect. That was the start. able to wear my own clothes. <laughs> the power of negotiation. Starting early. That's awesome. So you gave us a little bit about how you got there. Why don't you tell us about your current role at Cushman and Wakefield? What is it that you do day to day? So I work in um, capital markets. We do investment sales, meaning we sell standing buildings only, and we work strictly in the multifamily um, apartment or land or build to rent space. So anything that's a dwelling unit. So we sell standing product and we do that principally in the greater Chicagoland and or Midwest area. We also raise capital, meaning equity and debt for developers who want to build multifamily product. And we have done that nationally across the U.S. We've done that in Australia. We've done that, helped our teams in Australia, helped our teams in London and helped our teams specifically in Ireland, in Dublin, raise equity and debt for clients. Very exciting. As my father told me when I entered school at the University of Illinois, I was a liberal arts major. And he said, "Uh, honey, you like nice things too much. You'll never make money that way. You have to be a business major. And I said, dad, I'm not quite sure I, I agree with that. And he said, if you're a woman and you understand math, the sky's the limit. So we've uh, spent a lot of time in the financial areas, making sure we understand the math. You know what? I think I'm going to add that to my list of new favorite quotes. If you're a woman <laughs> and you understand math, the sky is the limit. So true. Great advice. So, Susan, we all had to start somewhere, as you as you <laughs> told us where your starting point was. I'm sure there were influences in your career that made a lasting impact. Can you tell us about a mentor, a motivator, a driver that had an impact on you to help you get to where you are today? So I've been blessed to have several people take an interest in me as a person as well as professionally. I will say two men come to mind who helped me. One is Brad Mathis, and he owns a construction company called Lynn Mathis. And Brad has always been very clear-eyed and very succinct in his advice to me. Um, And I can take him anything And he will give me an honest opinion. And that has been um, very invaluable to me. Another man whose name is Owen Deutsch, who has owned a company called Loft Development. He is now travels the world taking photographs of birds and is quite successful in that venture. Owen was also very clear-eyed but long-viewed about you're going to have ups and downs. And the downs are going to feel like they're catastrophic and permanent. And I promise you they're not. And so he was the one who told me that Failure was rarely fatal, that you needed to understand that every day you get up and you do your best and, you know, eventually things for the most part turn around. And that was invaluable advice in the real estate industry. I love that. And the part I love is where you say take an interest as a person. So, I mean, for all managers out there and, you know, just taking an interest as a person and what the benefit of that does for that career growth, I, I think is huge. And I love hearing hearing that, and especially two men were the ones who got you, you know, helped you where you are today. I will say my first institutional job, and I won't say who it is because I'm not, I don't have a very positive thing to say right now. I learned, and it's a bad trait today, but at the time it was, it was self-serving and it was career saving. When I first started in the institutional world, I learned to be the last person to a meeting because if I was the first one, as the only female, they would give me their coffee orders. 
It never occurred to them that I was at the table for a reason other than to take coffee orders. So I figured out very quickly, if I was the last one there, they had to fend for themselves with coffee and I could just sit down. Now, that's a trait that today I'm still five to seven minutes late for every meeting. Um, (laughs) That's not quite as professional as it should be. But that ingrained habit came from if 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 I'm the first one there, they're going to tell me they prefer it with sugar or cream or just black. Wow. I mean, that just, you know, do you think that's changed today? Let's go into our next question. How do you think the CRE industry has changed since you started out? Do you think that's any different, that situation you just explained? Do you feel other women, younger women coming into the, just coming into the professional career, are they sometimes treated that way? Do you ever see that? I think it's changed dramatically for the better. I will say that capital markets in particular, because it's 100% commission and you eat what you kill, is very competitive. And so it is dominated by men. And and that's not a bad thing, um, but it is still grossly overweighted in a male format as opposed to a female format. But it is much better, particularly, I will say, that older millennials and younger Gen X are have wives who and sisters or some close female to them that is in the work environment. And they are much much more sensitive to, is this an appropriate workplace? Is this an appropriate dialogue? Am I including everybody at an equal level? I think that it's changed dramatically for the better. I agree with that. I've had some men reach out to me after listening to our first few podcasts, and they said, we support you. Our My wife, my sister has had these issues exactly to what you said. They're concerned about the women around them, and they want to make movement for that exact reason. And their daughters, who today are Six months, two years, seven years old, they're realizing that they want an equal playing field, a level playing field for their daughters, not just their sons. Absolutely. So, Susan, along those lines, what can we do to get more women into the sales side? You know, you, you said it and we talk about it on the lending side. It's the same. Most women don't really believe that failure isn't fatal. They don't want to take that risk. What can we do to encourage them to make a change to to take that leap? So I think a couple of things can happen. I think that to get younger women involved with this, that one, they need a strong mentor and someone who believes in them and says, you can do this. And when you feel like you can't, come find me. And when you feel when you can't, hold your hand up and ask for help. Because men ask for help, they just do it in a different way than women. And, and they're much more aggressive in that, as opposed to women feel like I must have failed if I need help, as opposed to we all need we all need a support system around us. So I think the first one is find a mentor who believes in you. I think the second thing is, is that there needs to be for women in their late 20s who want to be in capital markets, there needs to be some kind of base salary. And that's not just women, that's women, minorities, anybody, so that you know that your electric bill gets paid, your car payment gets paid, and your rent gets paid. You want to go out on Thursday night and have a $22 martini, you're going to have to sell something. But you don't have to worry about day-to-day um, what your basic baseline expenses are. And I know that, that that's abhorrent to the business model, but if you truly want an inclusive um, group of people in, in your capital markets, it has to be so that they can afford to say yes. Instead of, I can't afford that, I, I can't. I'm going to go into property management or I'm going to go into administration because I have to have a paycheck. Yeah, Absolutely. it's a great way to mitigate the risk to diversify the staff. I like yes. it. 
Not so, only do you need a, a mentor, but a manager, right? Who's your champion? Someone in the in the management, you know, hierarchy that is shepherding and mentor in in uh, championing you. I mean, yes. I I think that is is huge in connection, you know, in combination with the mentor as well. I agree. I agree. I, I would also say, and I tell this to my all of my team, if when I invite them all, it doesn't matter how young or old they are or experienced. They can be on every call. They can come to every meeting. And I will say to them, particularly the younger ones, you're not showing up and not saying anything. So I'm a, this is your part of the meeting. I'm going to look at you and say, Christina, Brendan, Brenda, you know, here's what I want you to cover. So be ready. Because part of it is, as you said, having a champion is at a meeting. It's not just me. And they know the, the detail much more than I do whether it's rent comps or sales comps, they're the ones pulling that information. They can quote it off the top of their heads. And so it's important that they get airtime in front of clients. That's an amazing leadership tool. I hope some of the leaders and allies listening are using that to help grow their staff's confidence. That's amazing. So we talked about in your bio that you have been an entrepreneur, founding, selling your companies. What was the hardest part of that? I would say that I very early decided that if I was going to fail, it was because I failed, not because I was someone else was in charge and they failed. So I've always been fairly entrepreneurial. I would say there's huge plus sides uh, in being entrepreneurial. You tend to think out of the box. You tend, tend to take more risk. You have the ability to mold something the way that makes sense to you. You have a threshold for what is possible on the upside. On the downside is, you know, you will lay awake at two o'clock at night wondering if you made the right decisions. And all you, the only person you're talking to is yourself. Hence, mentors were very important to me. Men who had owned their own businesses and knew what the cyclical nature of businesses were and the ups and the downs. It's been thrilling. And I will say, I was a little concerned when we sold our company to Cushman Wakefield because, you know, 50,000 people, 450 offices. I was worried about the bureaucracy. For the most part, that has been a non-issue. Yes, expense accounts can be a pain in the neck and, you know, some of the other mandatory code of conduct. Yeah, (laughs) all that stuff. But for the most part, they encourage you to be entrepreneurial, write your own business plan, run your own team the way that makes sense to you. That, that part's been very refreshing, I would say, because I I was bracing for, oh my God, this is going to be more corporate than I'm used to. That's probably part of the success of Cushman Wakefield, exactly that model. Exactly yes. that. Which is this, similar to Greystone. I was just about <laughs> to say the same thing, Pamela. That is yeah. definitely in the Greystone DNA. So yeah. it sounds like you learned a lot of valuable lessons from growing your own business. Is there one that stands out above the others that you want to share with our listeners? I would say that communication is really easy when things are going well. Communication when things are going poorly is very hard. And it's communication when things are going poorly that counts more than communication when things are going well. Both to so your true. team, to your investors, to your clients. And, you know, we we all try and, I would say, couch bad news in a way that's palatable. Um, and, you know, you have to decide, is it just, do I just deliver the bad? Sometimes the bad news is so bad, you just have to deliver it straight up, undiluted. And sometimes, you know, making that call is hard to do, but you have to force yourself to do that. Yeah. 
And many times it ends up not even being as bad as you think, because we all know that sometimes you you receive bad news and we all know how to accept it. So that's great advice. So, Susan, having been a business owner as well, um, you're also used to being a salesman, as we've talked about. What would you say makes for a successful sales salesperson, such as someone who's selling a commercial property or selling loans to property investors and owners? We talked about asking for help, mentorship, but what really is the success of, of being a salesperson and actually production, driving production and making sales? So my strength is being the rainmaker on business development. I am, I like I like meeting people. I like understanding their projects or their assets. I uh, love that part of it. I also love the we can we can sell this or we can raise this money. I would say the part of that that is that you have to have a thick skin with is you can't be you can't take it personal when people say no, and you just need to make you know the next call. And so I lay out lists on Monday on Sunday night. I make my list for the for the week and for Monday, I revise that list on Wednesday and then I revise it again on Friday. And that list is specifically who do I need to call every day? And I won't, I won't go home until I've made the call. So you set a limit, you set a goal of calls you make for for the day, for the week. That's, that's a goal you, ongoing goal you have. Yes. And, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you call once a week and sometimes it's, you call every other day. I left a message for somebody this morning that I called yesterday and I didn't hear back from him. So I called him today and I, I won't say his name, but I said, you know, and he knows me very well. I said, I'm going to I'm going to borderline stalk you till you call me back. So let's just <laughs> save us all some effort and energy and call me back. Yeah, you well, don't give up. You're just telling, telling people you're not giving up. You're right, not either talk all. to me or you, I'm not going away. Is right. there any other strategies that you do in the sales as far as that? I mean, you're calling. Is there. Any other advice or strategies you think might be helpful for our listeners? So I think what's important is to tell your clients uh, what the truth is about the market conditions. I mean, and as a broker, you know, you're really an advisor. And so if you take a step back, you're trying to give your clients the best current market information you can. And sometimes that means telling them you shouldn't be selling now. That it's not whether debt markets are upside down or cap rates have expanded or, you know, you're not going to get the rent growth you think you are if interest rates don't start, don't stop climbing. I think that that's probably the hardest part in the brokerage community as a whole is Mm -hmm. we say put your clients first. And for the most part, everybody does. But sometimes putting your clients first is is telling them you, you shouldn't do you shouldn't transact right now. Mm-hmm. And that's how you earn their trust. That's how you right. earn their trust, and that's how you exactly. build the the relationship. That's and the starting will, point. Yeah. And I will say, particularly when I started my brokerage company, you know, it was very important to me that we not buy listings. You know, we're not going to tell you your building is worth 100 million if I really think on a good day it's worth 85, and on a bad day it's worth 78. I I won't buy the listing. And you know, some brokerage houses encourage you to buy the listing, and I'm not going to opine on whether that's ethical or not. I just, my reputation is too important to me. I'm going to tell you what I think. And if you don't want to hire me because, well, he said it was worth, someone else said it was worth 10% more than you did. So I have to go with them. I'm like, good luck. All I'm asking is when it sells at the price I told you, please call me and at least acknowledge I was right. 
And that is how you build relationships that last the test of time. They last yes. the downturns. You know, your honor and who you are are so much more important than that one deal. Yes. That's awesome. So you've given our listeners some amazing secrets, um, some <laughs> amazing strategies. One last question for me on that. What would you say is your best negotiation tactic? We've talked about building the relationship. What else? My best negotiating tactic. I think it's very, this is going to sound uh, diabolically opposed, but it isn't. I'm a very big believer in methodically laying, being very disciplined and methodically laying out the program of you know, this is why you should buy this asset or this is why you should invest in this. Here's the yield and cost. Here's why it's this it's this sponsor. I think that's very important in the beginning. At the end, I think it's very important to make sure that you're showing the enthusiasm and the passion for it so that people pay attention because so much hits your desk that you as a buyer or as an investor, that you have to separate yourself. And, you know, I get paid to be an advocate for our clients. So part of it is very business and part of it is very passionate and emotional. And so it's when do you combine those two things and how do you combine those two things? And it's so awesome to have a career that you are passionate about. You know, like my listeners have heard, I'm passionate about affordable housing and, you know, it makes it worthwhile every day to do what you do. Yes. And I would say I'm lucky enough, I'm fortunate enough at this point in my career that we love all of our clients and we get to, I won't say handpick our clients, that's not thats not quite true, but we believe in our clients, which means the enthusiasm and the passion we have is legitimate. It's not yeah. manufactured. That's amazing. So we find that we learn most through adversity. Even though it's hard to navigate when you're going through it, do you have any career challenges, barriers, a specific instance that you felt that you had a hurdle you had to break through that you've learned and you can share with our listeners today? I think that there's been a sea change. I am a very driven, independent person. I grew up with men as my best friends, so I'm very sports oriented. I've been known to have a very colorful uh, palette when I'm talking. I would say that that helped me in my younger years because I got was more accepted because I could talk about what the game was last night or I could hold my own in a conversation when foul language was being used. I don't think you need to do that today. Now that's in, that that was easy for me because that's the way you know that's who I was to begin with. But I think you can truly be who you are today and be accepted and have a legitimate seat at the table, no matter what your approach is. No, that's great. And I definitely see that as well, you know, in my career as well, currently and previously, I felt the same way you did. And again, wasn't an issue for me. It was something I was always used to, but I definitely see that changing, which that's very positive. Um, we'd love to hear more about your future. So what things are you looking to accomplish? What's next? I mean, here you here you are today, very successful. What's your next step from here? I think that we spend a lot of time in uh, the multifamily space talking about inclusion and how do we provide affordable housing in urban environments? Because a lot most of our clients are in urban environments though we do work a lot with build to rent, which is suburban or third ring geographic locations. I think the way affordable housing gets solved is twofold. 
One, it's to give the problem to the market. The market will solve it. If you get out of their way and let them use the tools that developers know how to use, I think we could provide a lot more affordable housing in buildings. So it's integrated next to buildings in the environments where people want to live. I think that's one. The second thing is, I think that there needs to be a reshifting of what it means to be a renter. And, you know, we've made a lot of progress in this country the last 20 years to rent by choice. That doesn't mean you're a degenerate. That doesn't mean you have a bad credit score. That doesn't mean you don't vote. We've come a long way as a society in the last 20 years as a renter by choice. I think that that part is great. I think we have to have make sure that there is dignity and quality of housing for people who who will always rent because they can't afford to buy a home. That doesn't mean that you should get a second-class experience. Well said. Yep. All right. Time for our favorite part of the episode. So are we going to call it quote corner or affirmation? Aha. We're still coming up with a name for this segment, but we want to hear your version of Ted Lasso's Believe. Do you have a signature quote? that you want our listeners to remember as they navigate their career journey. So give us a quote that's resonated with you and driven you throughout your career. Well, so I've I've known for so many quotes that people are like, oh my God, I've never heard somebody say it that way. But I would say there are two quotes that I use a lot. The first one's probably the most important. And that one is onward and upward, meaning it doesn't matter if you succeeded or failed. It means get up and keep moving and keep looking up, so onward and upward. Particularly if you've made a mistake or something isn't going well, again, that harkens back to failure is rarely fatal. So I think that that part is important. My second, the second quote I have that taken out of context doesn't mean a lot, but it is that you can't afford to go mouse hunting with an elephant gun, which means if these are your goals, you've got to pay attention. If If you're hunting for elephants, stop looking at the mice. Oh, I love that. That's a good one. Actually, those were three amazing quotes. Failure is rarely fatal. That was another one that you actually threw in there while you were talking about it. So amazing. I, I loved it. It was all great advice for our listeners. Susan, we want to thank you so much for your time and sharing your career insight with our GLOW CRE listeners. We really enjoyed learning and hearing your stories. Um, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. We hope Susan's stories fired you up to achieve more in your career and make moves in CRE. We look forward to bringing you more inside stories from top women in our industry, as well as keeping an open dialogue about the state of women in CRE. Until then, keep glowing, ladies. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Same, Susan. Thank you for joining us. This was an amazing conversation. Lovely. Thank you, ladies.